Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious God, ever draw near to us and bring us that peace which is ours in Christ. And through that peace, draw us nearer to yourself. Draw us to come to you, to find our rest, to find your mercy, to find your compassion, to find your steadfast love ever with us. Grant us your spirit and help us, O Lord, to know your word and that through that knowing of your word, to know you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we pray. Amen. When I was a child, I remember when the state of Tennessee was constructing a new highway behind my parents' and uncles' houses. They decided to build a new highway to replace the one that ran in front of our houses, that old one that was full of curves and hills. It was a dangerous road. You couldn't go very fast because you never knew when there might be someone who was coming around a one of the curves toward you too fast and crossing over the line, and so they finally decided they would build a new highway. But this one would be straighter, it would be wider, and it would allow travel from my hometown of Teleco over to Madisonville to be much quicker and safer in general. And so for years, I remember that road being built. The big machines came in, they came in there behind our houses, way up past our gardens, and they started ripping down all the trees and the tangled woods that were up behind there. Eventually, all of that was cleared away. Then they began using even bigger machines to begin leveling that ground. One of the parts that I remember of that leveling was that you would go and it was pretty flat, but then there was this huge gully, this big old gully, this gorge, that then climbed up to this huge hill that, to my 9, 10, 11-year-old eyes, looked like a mountain range, looked like a mountain in front of me, especially if you went down in that gorge. I remember walking along that pathway, along that soon-to-be road, and looking down in that gorge and watching my brothers ride their dirt bike down in there and try to go up the other side, oftentimes getting stuck because it was so steep and they couldn't climb up and they'd have to turn around in, in dejection and, de and defeat and come back to my side of the gorge. I remember looking at that and thinking, how in the world are cars supposed to come through here and go down and then come up that hill? How are they going to do anything with this hill? And then after that came the dirt movers, the really big dirt movers, the huge bulldozers and the big dirt graders that were just larger than my imagination could grasp. They were so huge and yet controlled by such small people. They slowly began scraping the top of that hill, ripping the dirt up, making it lower and lower, and dumping that dirt into that gorge. And slowly, over the course of weeks, where I'd be standing here and here is the mountain, and there was a big gorge, it slowly came down and down and down, and that gorge came up and up and up. And soon, before I knew it, it was leveled out. <coughs> that massive hill that rose out of that gorge was defeated, and the gorge itself disappeared. What once seemed a valley so deep and a hill so mountainous to my eyes became a virtually flat plain. No more was there a gully to be climbed. Now there was flat land stretching back and forth. The mountains were laid low and the valleys were filled in. 
That is the message that John the Baptist ultimately was bringing to the people. And I hadn't really thought about that old building of that highway that's now not really a new state highway now that it's almost 34 years old. But suddenly just it struck me that that's, that was what was happening. The valley was being filled in. The mountain was being brought down in order to make a flat pathway, to make a straight pathway for the people to be able to drive back and forth between these two towns. And here we have that same picture being used. We have that same prophecy here, we have that prophecy from Isaiah being fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist, being fulfilled from the words of Malachi, too, that we heard. The leveling of mountains and the filling of the valleys are the work of the Lord. He sends his messenger to prepare for his coming. And the Lord is making a way for his people, but he himself is also making a way for himself to come to us. He flattens the hills and the mountains to make a path for us, but it's first a path for him to come to us so that we can receive him, so that we can then follow him, so that we can go out with him. He levels the playing field. He levels the ground in order to open up salvation for all people. And in the process of doing that, he makes us into new people. And so on the second Sunday of Advent, we hear about John, and we often think that it's, a grim work that he is doing. This grim and sad work of calling the people to repentance, of calling out their sins, of telling them what they have done wrong. And yet he is fulfilling the grand calling that has been placed upon him. He is fulfilling the calling that has been given to him that the Lord has laid before him. He cries out in the wilderness for the people to repent and turn from their old ways. But really it's a mistake for us to think of that as grim and sad. He's paving the way for the peace of God to come. He's paving the way for us to know God's work. He's, made, he's allowing peace to come to us by proclaiming why there isn't peace. He's proclaiming that peace is coming in the Lord and that peace is here because the Lord has come. The work that the Lord accomplishes is this paving toward peace. He preaches about our need and our repentance is what John is doing. And through that preaching, through that hearing of our need for repentance and through responding, through turning from our sins, turning from our old pathways and turning onto this new way, we will come to know and experience the peace that the Messiah brings to us through his work. And we hear about that today through Malachi and through Luke. We hear how peace is brought toward us and how we can then live and experience our lives within the midst of that peace. So first, we're going to hear of our being refined toward peace, and that comes from Malachi. Malachi tells us that the Lord has said, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you delight will come, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day? Who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? That is the question that is being asked. There is a messenger sent to prepare the way and then the Lord suddenly is there. The Lord suddenly appears after this messenger has come and prepared. And then there is a messenger of the covenant that we are called to delight in who is coming with the Lord. 
And in that coming, who can endure it? Who can endure that? For this messenger of the covenant is one who is like a refiner's fire. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And here Malachi gives us a picture of the sons of Levi being refined and purified in order that they could then bring offerings to the Lord in repentance. This messenger of the covenant is the Messiah. He is the one who is to come, and he comes like a refining fire. And he is refining his people. John the Baptist was the preparer for that refining. He prepared the ground. He prepared the people by preaching repentance, by telling them, repent for the Lord is coming, for the kingdom is coming. The Messiah is on his way, so turn from your old ways. Prepare for that coming, for he has given us his word already. He has given us his law. He has shown us what we are to do and how we are to live and how we are to respond to this great and glorious God. And when the refiner comes, the messenger of the covenant, he will refine us because he has accomplished peace for us. In that accomplishment of peace, he will then further refine us in our repentance. We hear of preparation, but then we are continually over and over and over prepared more and more for this messenger of the covenant as he refines us and purifies us. The Lord will make us as we are to be. Because he has refined us toward his peace. And that peace that he accomplishes is in the Messiah. The Messiah takes upon himself that which we need to repent of. He takes our sins. He takes our transgressions upon himself. Our adulteries. Our lying. Our greed. Our coveting. He takes our murderous thoughts. And he takes our idolatrous worship upon himself. And removes them from the presence of the Father. And then he calls us into repentance and calls us toward his peace. And as we repent, as we respond and are prepared more and more, as we are made level, as those valleys of sin are filled in with the mountains of righteousness from Jesus, we come to look like Jesus. We come to know his peace, to receive, to live in that peace as he refines us more and more, as he makes us into who we are to be. And when we are properly and completely refined, Malachi says, or the Lord says through Malachi, then I will draw near to you for judgment. You see, the people of Israel were a mixed bag. There were those who were responding and those who were not. And yet they were all one people. They were all one Israel. And thus, the Lord was going to draw near in the end and judge his people. Those who had responded to this messenger preparing the way and had responded to that messenger of the covenant, who had responded to the Lord's coming, were to receive his grace and his blessings. Not because there was something special in and of themselves, but because God had granted them his blessing of repentance and forgiveness and refining. But for those who refused to respond, those who rejected the work of Jesus, the work of the Messiah, they would be judged and would be kicked out of the land. They would be exiled from the gracious and glorious presence of the Father. And he would stand against those who reject the work of the Messiah. Because they had rejected the refining. They had rejected the peace. They had rejected what the good Lord was trying to do in them and with them. But nonetheless, that peace still stands before them. 
That peace stands to be received until that day of judgment. That peace stands to be laid hold of through the refining work of the Lord. And we hear even more so about this refining work from our gospel lesson today. We hear about the other side of refining. Refining is the work of the Lord toward us. And you could say that the other side of that refining work is that we are then called into a repentance toward peace. That we are called to respond to the refining work. That if the messenger of the covenant, the Messiah, comes and refines us in order that we could experience peace, then we respond with repentance into that peace. I've already been talking about that repentance and already talking about our response. But it's important to see that these are two sides. The work of the Lord in refining us and our actions and our responses in repentance. And Luke, being the good historian that he is, sets the context to help us understand that this is something happening in reality. People could look at the prophecies and be like, oh, they're so abstract, they're so amorphous, they're just pie in the sky way out there. But here, Luke brings everything back to earth. He takes those prophecies and puts them into a historical context and says, here is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Here is Yahweh working in our world. And so he confines it to a particular time period with his first words, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judah, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Luke sets up a historical context that we cannot deny, that we cannot avoid, that we can just sit there and shift it off to the side and be like, well, Luke's not trying to tell us something historical here. When he names off six historical markers for us we have to step back and say this is something happening in real history this isn't some mythological legendary occurrence luke is telling theophilus his reader you can pinpoint the approximate time frame in which these events are occurring just look back at the history and you can see that there was tiberius caesar reigning and in his 15th years pontius pilate was the governor Herod was a tetrarch. His brother Philip was a tetrarch. Lysanias was a tetrarch. That there is a high priest, Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. And it's beautiful what Luke does there in placing it in history. He's also establishing the prophethood of John. He's connecting him to the Old Testament prophets. He's making it clear that John is a prophet coming in the pathways of the Old Testament. If you go back and look at the beginning of Hosea or the beginning of Jeremiah or Micah or many other prophets, they start in this very way. They will give you some historical context and then they'll say the word of the Lord came or the oracles of God came to this prophet. And so Luke is setting John the Baptist up to fill in that gap that has occurred. For over 400 years, there has not been anything from Yahweh and then John the Baptist goes out. He is the son of Zechariah. He goes into the wilderness and he preaches repentance. He proclaims all around the region of the Jordan a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in order to fulfill the words of Isaiah the prophet. He calls the people out into the wilderness. He calls them from their places of luxury. He calls them from their places of comfort. 
And he calls them into the wilderness, into the place of trying, the place of testing. He calls them into a hard place so that he can say hard things to them and hard words are given to them because he calls them toward a baptism of repentance. He calls them towards cleansing. He calls them to receive water poured upon them to wash them into forgiveness. The Jordan is that liminal space between the wilderness and the promised land of God. Is that place that Joshua led the people of Israel over into the promised land as they were going forward to conquer it. It is the very river that Elijah and Elisha crossed from Israel into the wilderness in order for Elisha to receive the double portion of the Holy Spirit to see Elijah taken up into heaven and what does Elisha do? He walks back to the Jordan and he makes it part in order that he could then cross back into the land and continue the work of Elijah in a greater and grander way. It is the place that Naaman went and was washed and cleansed of his skin diseases. The Jordan is a place where miracles happen, where the work of God is accomplished. And that is where John calls the people into repentance. He calls them to turn away from their sins he calls them to confess and to recognize that they have been in the wrong. That they are the ones who are wrong and that God is the one who is right. And he proclaims a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I love that little word for in that. Baptism, for the repent, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It could also easily be translated as baptism into the, into the forgiveness of sins. That you're baptized in light of repentance and given over into the forgiveness of sins. That you are placed into the realm of forgiveness through baptism here. For John's baptism is a, mere, is a sign. is a sign of the greater things to come. It is a sign of the greater baptism that Jesus will proclaim over his people through his apostles. But even so, being a sign, it was something that placed the people into a realm of forgiveness. It placed them into a place where they could receive the peace and the mercies and the compassions of God once more in a new way. Because they were responding to the word of God that had been given to John, the son of Zechariah. The son of Zechariah was calling the people into a turning away from their sin. Fulfilling the calling that had been laid on him. Fulfilling the calling that had been given to him from God through his own father, Zechariah. In Zechariah's, or in John's birth and in his naming on the eighth day, when he was declared to be named John, the father loosed Zechariah's mouth and filled him with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied and he looked at John and he said, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. You will give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide our feet into the way of peace. John is the one who would go out and do these things and here he fulfills that prophecy from his father Zechariah. And he calls the people into repentance, fulfilling that grand calling placed upon him through the words of Isaiah that he is to prepare the way. He is to call for us to make the path straight, that the valley shall be filled and the mountains made low. The crooked shall become straight. The rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. 
We're given the big picture of salvation in this prophecy from Isaiah. Because in that immediate moment of Jesus' life, of John's life, of preparing the way of the Lord, of preparing the way of Jesus, not every single person saw it. Not all flesh saw the salvation of God upon the cross in that moment. But here, extended throughout all of history, all flesh has seen and is seeing the salvation that God has poured out as we go out and do what John did as we go out and call for people to move into repentance as we call for people to see their sins, as we reveal to people the word of the Lord that has been given to us in the scriptures that we just prayed for, that we just prayed about, that God has caused to exist for us, as we dwell in it, as we digest it, as we chew on it, as we eat it up and make it a part of us, we become changed. And we can become like John in the places that the Lord sends us to be those who prepare the way of the Lord into the lives of others' peoples. As we move into repentance toward peace, we can call others into that same movement. We have been refined by the word. We have been refined. And now we are repenting. And that's what this season is about. We often downplay that with Advent. We don't talk as much about Advent being a season that is a calling into repentance. That's why it's purple. That's one of the reasons why we pick purple, why the church has chosen purple as one of the colors for Advent is because it is, is it, a, it is a season of repentance. It is, it is a season of recognizing our brokenness. Like I said last week, hope begs the question of what, why do you hope? And you hope because you are broken. And for us to receive peace from God, it means that something has to be changed within us to receive that peace. That means that God has accomplished some great deed in order that he can pour out his peace upon us and he refines us and guides us into repentance that we would then receive that peace and be more and more changed. And so this season of Advent is a season of repentance. It is, it is a season of preparing our hearts because the Lord has enabled us to prepare those very hearts. We hear in our morning prayer about that prophecy of Zechariah for his son. And I think it is placed there for that very reason that we are to then take those words and apply them to ourselves in that way. To become ones who prepare the way of the Lord, who call the people into repentance by proclaiming the forgiveness and the peace and the mercies of God. We can live in the peace of God that was won through the death and the resurrection of Christ. But to live in that peace, we must live in that realm of repentance. And in that realm of repentance, we recognize our sin and turn from it. We get confronted in this Advent with the reality of our need for repentance because we're confronted with the peace of God that he pours out upon us, that whether we are one with God or not, the peace is there to be received. It stands apart from us. It looks down on us. And the Lord says, receive my peace. Turn from your brokenness and be healed. Come and receive the free fare that I give to you. Buy bread with no money. Receive drink with no money. For I give it all to you. That is the hope of your heart to be changed to receive the good gifts of God. It is the hope of your heart to receive the peace of God. And so turn and back to God. Turn to the Father through the Son by the strength of the Spirit working in you by the hearing of the Word. Jesus has perfect peace with the Father because there is no other existence for him to have. 
He is one with God. And he gives us that very peace that he has from eternity past. The peace that he lived in when he was incarnated and became a man. The peace that he won for us through the cross by taking our sins upon himself. And now he pours that out upon us and desires to refine us, to change our hearts, to make us new, and to call us into our continual act of repentance so that the valleys will be filled and the mountains laid low because the Lord has come to us. And now we are called to go to the Lord. We are called to follow after and to live in a life of repentance that will guide us into the peace of God. That will allow us to receive and live in and rejoice in that peace. And so may we, as we are confronted with the reality of God's peace being offered freely to us, respond with hearts that love Him and hearts that repent. With hearts that look for that coming of the Lord continually that look to receive the grace and the goodness that he has bestowed upon us through that very Jesus who has come. And so for this season of Advent, let us continue preparing by repenting. Let us continue preparing by receiving his peace in order that we would all the more be ready for his grand and glorious coming in the end. That as we live in peace, as we live in repentance, we will more and more joyfully receive that coming of the Lord when he returns and makes all things new like himself. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.